Welcome to Radio Physics, a collaboration with the Aspen Center for Physics, KDNK Community Radio in Carbondale, and advanced physics students from Roaring Fork Valley High Schools. The students spend a week working at the center during the summer and get to talk one-on-one to some of the distinguished physicists who are here. I'm Patty Fox, and I'm hosting today's program, which was recorded during the teen summer program at the Aspen Center for Physics. Kai Driscoll is a rising senior from Aspen High School, and Emma Day is a rising senior from Basalt High School. They will be interviewing Pankaj Mehta. Pankaj is an associate professor with tenure at Boston University in the physics department. He also has appointments in the bioinformatics graduate program and the biomedical engineering department. His research focuses on theoretical and computational problems at the interface of theoretical physics, biology, and machine learning. Pankaj is also a longtime activist and writes regularly on science and politics. When did you, in your opinion, become a physicist? I, I, I think you never really become a physicist. You aspire to be a physicist, at least the ideal form of the physicist. But... Um, I feel like I'm always getting better. Physics is a way of thinking about the world, uh, about finding universal patterns and seeing the simplicity in things that often look complicated. And so I guess the first time I really felt like I was even remotely good at this was probably well into postdoc or when I became a faculty member. But, you know, it's a process. It's a process. I think I don't think you become a physicist overnight. Like everything else, it's a craft. You work at it. You get better at it, and uh, and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a it's a work in progress. That's what I would say. <laughs> but 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 uh, I think you're never not a physicist, and you never are a physicist. It's it's just um, you get better at it. I think that's what that's what I would say. I think the binary distinction I never held much in my in my mind. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you always liked science, like as a kid, or what kind of things you were into when you were younger uh yeah i always i always liked science um i was uh i liked science a lot i always liked mathematics partly it was a feedback you know you're told you're good at something you like it more i don't know that that, that's that's just the way my world worked um i was i always have had a pretty broad interest um both intellectually and musically and politically so um it was, I think I became a scientist mostly because, um, why did I become a scientist? I became a scientist because my dad always liked physics and he said physics was good. And I read little too many, too many Richard Feynman books when I was in high school. I think that was, if you really want to know <laughs> why, uh, you know, it seemed like a very fun and cool thing. And, um, it seemed exciting. It seemed, it seemed exciting. You got to ask big questions, which I liked and it didn't seem too practical, which I also appreciate it on some deep level. <laughs> when you were our age, where were you on your path to becoming a physicist? I was, unlike many people, I wasn't like a super ambitious high schooler. I think I always wanted to do, I liked math. I used to do these funny high school math competitions, but I didn't really, you know, I didn't grow up in a world surrounded by people who knew a lot about math or physics or things like that. So I kind of, you know, finished my school and I'd go home and not do anything. There were these math competitions. I do a few of them. And um, I think I guess I really did want to be, I knew I wanted to be some kind of theoretical physicist because I had been corrupted by Richard Feynman's very good writing styles. 
Like, you know, uh, and I was a really shy kid. And Richard Feynman, and what's funny is Richard Feynman wrote this book called What Do You Care What Other People Think? And it had like, and my dad handed it to me and it had this like very deep impact on me. It was like, yeah, why do I care what other people think? And somehow that combination of like opening up my social awareness and being interested in math and, you know, I had this vision that you got to be this rebel, bohemian intellectual and physics was where it was at. So that, that, that's, that's, I, I like that, but I wasn't like super serious. Like I was reasonably good at school, mostly because it was easy for me, but I was never someone who was like a great student or anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I think I wanted to be a physicist then. I think my doubts about being a physicist came much later. Then I was like fully gung-ho. I think that was the most enthusiastic about being a physicist I've ever been, was at your age in high school. <laughs> um, do you have any major struggles or bumps in your path on the way to where you are now? Sure. In grad school, I almost, I mean, I, I almost quit physics. I basically told my advisor, I'm stopping, I'm quitting. I think it's very weird that I'm here. Um, after grad school, I, I, you know, and, and I can explain to you why it mostly had to do with a disconnect between what I thought physics was going to be, as I explained to you, I imagined it as some, like, I'm going to be a Hunter S. Thompson scientist since we're in Aspen, I'll say that. <laughs> and, and the reality was a little bit, uh, little, little bit different. And, um, I had a real hard time understanding that um, what I wanted from science isn't what it was going to give me. It, it gives you a lot. It's, I don't mean to disparage it in any way, but I, I wanted something existential and deep. And I realized science, to me at least, when I made my peace with science, was when I realized that um, it's kind of a, I have to treat it as one aspect of my life and many interests. And through grad school, I had a, I had a hard time with that. I was involved in a lot of stuff mostly political and solving science problems because they're hard and because of what science is didn't seem that significant to me but i and and so i almost quit i multiple times in grad school um i had no intention of continuing on to a postdoc that's why i kind of switched fields in fact um it was supposed to be a one-year gig because my wife now at the time my girlfriend at the time told me i couldn't come live with her and be uh hang out and be a lazy lazy anarchist on her couch. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I need a job. And the easiest thing was to do is to get a postdoc. But during that year, my postdoc mentor, Ned Wingreen, who's also very involved with the center, you know, turned me from some kind of bohemian into a professional. And, and I developed a healthier attitude towards physics. Like I still love it deeply, but um, it's not the only thing in my life. I realize it can't be the only thing in my life. It never was, but I wanted it to be almost uh, transcendental, but it's it's not that. It's just it's just a fun thing you do, and it's a real privilege to do it because most people in there don't get the opportunity to do something that they really love where you don't get told what to do. You get to think about what's interesting to you, and that's a super privilege, and you take that privilege and you enjoy it, but uh, it's not going to like... Uh, I don't know. I, I just wanted it to be something more than it was. That's, I'll leave it at that. I'm rambling now. <laughs> <laughs> what drew you to spread out and um, investigate biology and machine learning as well? Um, well, I feel like f on many levels, as I told you, I was having this crisis. So I wasn't going to keep on doing what I was going to do. And I did some very mathematical, very technical physics. And so um, I started off going to grad school wanting to be a string theorist. Um, and 
after about a year, I realized um, there's debate about this. It'll be controversial, but I felt like at, even at that time, back in 2000, early 2000s, it seemed unlikely it was going to make any connection with experiments or that I wasn't sure what it had to say about the real world. And so I switched to condensed uh, matter physics. And mostly the kind of condensed matter physics I did had the same kind of mathematical structure. It was formally the same. So I did the same kind of kind of very mathematical physics. And um, and but in the context of real world math, uh, you know, systems where you could actually go to an experiment to describe it, which I found really fascinating, you know, which I felt like was the essence of science. I didn't want to be a natural philosopher because if I was going to do that, I would have just become a natural philosopher. Um, and so and then I was having these crises and I met these like really interesting people, um, Bor Schreiman, Anirvans and Gupta. And, they, and, and these people had been at Bell Labs, which was like a real center of physics in the late 90s and early 2000s, but the groups were collapsing because, you know, AT&T had lost its monopoly, Bell Labs was shutting down. So they came to Rutgers, came through, and I started talking to them, and here were these people who were promising me kind of what I wanted, the wild, wild intellectual West, all these crazy problems. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and, and this sounds ridiculous, but I think this is part of the negative culture of physics, which is that there's this kind of macho-ness to physics, like you have to be smarter than the next person. And at that time, I, I wasn't so cognizant of how this all influenced me, but these were people I thought were really smart in all like the kind of flashy ways that we, I think, way overvalue in the physics community, way overvalue. Uh, but so I took them seriously and I was like, oh, they're thinking about these problems. And 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 so I took some courses with them. And as I said, I, I wasn't allowed to go be a bum. So, uh, so I, I took this postdoc in biophysics because that's what they were working on. And they convinced me there were all these interesting problems. And in that time at Princeton, I realized there really are these interesting problems, whereas physics, is, I think, is a quite mature field. Um, biology, I would say theoretical biology, statistical physics of biology has feels like the wild, wild west. There's tons of problems. Um, you know, every phenomenon is not understood. We don't even understand what the right variables are for describing stuff. We don't understand how, you know, what is the universal laws? And, and, and I am personally very convinced that in 300, 400 years, we're going to have good principles in biology the way we'd have them in physics. And it's fun to be part of the adventure, you know? I want to be a spectator on the adventure. And so I got interested in this, and my mindset changed. I just decided I was going to do whatever I think is interesting. I don't care what anyone else thinks. Um, so I got into this. And then machine learning is just, uh, we got into it because we started thinking about how the brain analyzes data. Then we got these big biological data sets. And, you know, there's this revolution happening right now in machine learning. And so we kind of were surprised at how the algorithms work. So we kind of wanted to know why they worked they, the way they did. And this was really before the modern artificial intelligence learning by about three, four, five years we were thinking about this. So it was in the air. It was definitely popular, but it wasn't like this thing that's all over popular culture. So they just seemed like fun problems. So, so at some point I decided I didn't, I was just going to solve fun problems. And... And, and I think physicists, this is one of the charms, charming things about physics, that you learn physics and it, has, it somehow teaches you how to think about problems that aren't, look superficially very different, but you realize at least some class of those problems you can answer with methods from physics. So that's why everyone should, who has an interest in physics should be a physics major because it's fun. It teaches you how to think about the world in a really, really fun way. It has other things that are less good and us as educators are trying to change 
kind of the, I would say this kind of culture of macho intellectual culture, at least me, I'm very obsessed with trying to tone that down a lot, probably because I'm very guilty of being a participant <laughs> in my youth. A snob. <laughs> a snob. That's the right word. Physicists have reputation as jerks for good reason. <laughs> That's not entirely, I've got to chime in here to say I really like physicists. And I'm not one. <laughs> yeah, I like physicists too, but sometimes uh, there's this funny XKCD comic on what it means to be a physicist. And uh, all, everyone on the radio, you should uh, you should look it up. It's called When a Physicist Encounters a New Field. And it's and it's just basically a bunch of uh, some physicists. I'm looking at this. Some guy says, I'm looking at this field. And some physicists make some long theory. And he says, why do you need a field anyway? That's how it ends. So it's, it's a very funny comic. You should look at it. So I think it captures both what's charming and good about physics and what's uh, maybe a little bit annoying to others. <laughs> do you have a favorite project that you've worked on or a topic that you studied? A favorite? Um, no, I, I usually, you know, it changes. It's whatever I'm excited about at, at the moment. Um, I think these problems about how living systems process information, how they can use energy to do amazing things like self-replicate, process information, reproduce themselves, is a really open question. I'm personally... And it's really deep because it's really related to th really deep concepts like the second law of thermodynamics, right? So if you think about the second law of thermodynamics, there's many ways of thinking about it. It tells you you can't make perpetual motion machines. You, you know, it, it's a big law telling you what you can't do without consuming energy. And I think there's a lot of things in biological systems that are about processing information and what you can't do. And so there's these like series of works starting with Maxwell that relate thermodynamics, which is like the study of heat and things like that, to how systems process information. So the big names in this are like, starts with Maxwell and these famous things called Maxwell's demons, which are worth reading about. And then Landauer, who basically says that in order to make a computer have memory, you have to consume energy in order to erase this memory. So your computer, you know, gets hot when you stream something. Is that just an engineering thing? Is it just because we can't design anything? Or is there a fundamental reason that if I'm processing, do really complicated computations, I have, the computer must get hot. So it turns out the answer is the second. It's another form of the second law of thermodynamics. So there's this kind of really crazy deep relationship between an intangible thing like information and a very tangible thing like how much work a machine does. And that whole kind of world I find very fascinating. And I feel like cells and their, the way they process information offers a really interesting venue to try to think about these things. So I think those concepts interest me a lot. These days I'm really interested in theoretical ecology, it turns out, because I think there's like universal statistical physics kind of laws in ecosystems that we're starting to unravel. So we're having fun with that. And things like random matrices, which are things, which are crazy objects, we think and describe real ecosystems, which is kind of weird. We have a bunch of papers showing that you can take like basically a square where each entry in a matrix or square is basically a random number thrown, you know, you roll a dice and you put a number in. Why should that describe the real world? But it describes crazy things all the way from like the spectrum of nuclear, the nucleus of uranium. So when you get a complicated quantum mechanical thing, you get described by random matrices 
Um, if you take you know, the spectra of complicated quantum systems, they get described by random matrices, and now we're finding that these ecosystems are also described by random matrices. And so I find this topic very interesting. Like, why can we take a real system, real world, describe it with a bunch of random numbers? Why does that tell us anything about the real world? When does it tell us something about the real world? So that's another topic that I find spans across all kinds of branches of physics and is a real fundamentally interesting one. And so th th those two kind of things, I guess, are the things that really excite me. And I think, as I said before, it's important to check these things with experiment because um, to me, you can get carried away in mathematical elegance very easily. Um, but yeah, those are the two things I'm very excited about right now. What would you like to see the next generation accomplish in physics? Scientifically, um, I think physicists have never lacked for problems. I think um, scientifically, of course, as a biophysicist and a statistical physics person, I think the frontier is biological systems. And I, and, and I advocate for that deeply because I think it's a place where you can be a generalist. It's like uh, now in physics, there's such a, such a premium on being a specialist. And I do this, 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 this thing. And I like biological systems because they force you to piece together different branches of physics because living systems basically have evolved to piece together this physics, that physics, and put it together to do something useful. So scientifically, I, I think that's an important thing. Um, I think culturally, uh, I think I would like to see the next generation of physicists be much more open-minded, much more cognizant of how um, the divisions of society impact who gets the opportunity to do physics, because everyone doesn't have equal opportunity to do physics. And I think that's a shame. Um, you know, um, it's the, there's this famous Stephen Jay Gould uh, quotes, which is not, uh, which is basically, you know, what what's amazing is maybe not Einstein's, but how many people like Einstein, we never ever got the opportunity to even, you know, be physicists. So I hope culturally we do a better job of, um, making physics less elitist. And there's many little things we can do, there's many big things we have to do, but I think that's a important, important project because physics is a crown jewel of human culture. I really, really believe that. It's one of the pinnacles of what we've done as humans. And it's a sh pity that everyone doesn't get to participate in it. So I think scientifically that way and culturally, I think maybe even more importantly, change the ethos and the tenor of the field. Does your um, work with political activism, is that influenced a lot by physics and science and your other work? Uh, I would say it's the other way. I think a lot of my political work shapes the kind of questions I have and the way I view things. So um, it, it affects my day to day. I was the head of my graduate, one of the main organizers of my graduate student union. So I'm much more sympathetic to graduate students' plights and people who have contingent work. But um, no, I think it's much more the other way. I think one of the unappreciated things about being a scientist that's difficult is what question do you ask, right? And no one tells you what question you have to ask. And how do you ask that question? All that is created by the environment around you. And so I think a lot of my activist work has shaped the kind of questions I ask, especially as I become more and more biological 
And as you get closer and closer to things like ecology and evolution, or think about machine learning, things that impact um, human and environmental impact. So I ask certain kinds of questions that maybe other people wouldn't ask. And I ask them with different methods than other people would ask. And I think that's true for all physicists. They kind of like, um, what makes you do what you do rather than how you do it? I mean, uh, how we do it also to some degree, but I think the underappreciated thing about science is asking the right question. And that is very much impacted that way, uh, impacted by everything else I do in life. I like mm -hmm. to read a lot of literature. I, you get inspiration from the weirdest places. That's part of why I like coming to this valley. Like it's inevitable I come to the valley and for three weeks I feel like I'm being like completely unproductive. And then the last week I'm here, I get some spark of an idea somewhere from either talking to someone because you have it's just like a collection of really interesting people or I'm on a hike and some my mind wanders off somewhere and so, so and in that way you know I think how you live your life impacts what questions you ask as a scientist and I think less so the other way um being a physicist I guess I write about science and politics a lot so I feel like there's not that many people who have my political outlook who also have my technical skills so I get some authority for whatever reason. So in that way, it impacts my activism. So we, you know, I'm involved with this group called Science for the People, which is, um, which has been around for a while, where we try to um, think about the human and political impacts of science. So in that way, it, it impacts it. But I think much more the other way around, which is underappreciated. It's hard to articulate exactly how, but I know it does. Like when I read a good novel, somehow I, like, I ask a good question, like two weeks later or something. Is there an end goal that your research leads to? No, not really. I, I mean, I guess I feel like science is a very collective endeavor. Um, it builds on everyone. Um, I hope we just keep the process going. I, I, I feel like it's learning is a process. Physics is a process. And um, I just hope you know, I contribute in some small way of pushing together things. Um, we're, our, you know, our group is pretty good at finding what at least to many people are surprising connections between different fields. So I hope our research helps stimulate things. And generally, I, I, I see a unity in things. And I hope in some small way, the papers we write contribute to this idea that, you know, things look the same that look very different. So I guess if I have to have a goal, it's it's basically, you know, to keep the dialogue going. But um, I wouldn't say I have some very specific goal. Of course, I would like to understand how biological systems work. Like, but I, that's like a 500 year goal. It's not like a goal for my own research. I think I think we have goals as, as a field. I have less personal goals rather than just like, um, yeah, just keep the dialogue going. Let, let, let's, let's get some people excited. Let's get each other excited. And I think in 30 years, 40 years, we'll learn something. I mean, I think it's hard to predict exactly what that will be, but I'm confident that we'll learn something and something fun and something interesting. And it might even be practical. <laughs> what advice would you give to an aspiring physicist? Um, there's this tendency to just say, okay, I want to be a physicist. I'm gonna learn as much math and physics as possible. But um, I think it's good to have a balanced life to learn how to write, to learn how to read, to learn how to see the world. And um, one can't underestimate how much those things matter, both in a professional setting and a social setting. But the other thing you should do is 
is that um, it's not a competition between people, but you do have to have passion. I think one of the things that the only reason I've been successful, I think if I've been successful at all, I mean, to some, to the extent I've been successful, is because when I get interested in something, when I feel like, oh my God, I really want to understand this, I really just try to understand it. I go all in. And the amount of persistence and preserve, you know, you, you have to persevere. Like there's problems I've been thinking about for nine years and I still don't even know how to write one equation or do one simulation. But I've seen it happen. You think about a problem for four years, five years, six years, seven years, and suddenly somehow you figure out how to do it. So it's to live a full life, but when you get excited about something, to really think about it. And you don't have to do it, figure it out in one week, but you have to keep thinking about it, keep repeating, keep trying to come back to it. And, and perseverance is, is, is the key to good, good science, I would say. And perseverance is the key to learning a lot. So don't be discouraged if you don't figure it out the first time, you know, um, just keep trying. And I think most of it is about how you react to failure. You fail, do you get yourself back up and try to do it again? And this could be a problem set. It could be trying to understand something. And I think in science, when you're trying to find the limits of knowledge, make new knowledge, this matters even more than it does in the rest of your life. So that's, that's what I would say. And often to get back up, you have to have something else besides science so you don't get so disappointed. You're like, oh, actually, I'll do something else. And then you come back and you're like, okay, I'm ready to get up and try again. And so that's my advice to you, you know. I've heard that from a lot of physicists. You have to fail. You have to keep failing. You have to keep failing. And then you get a bright spot and something happens and you're back on, on the horse and riding. <laughs> it's great. So thank you, Pankaj, very much. He's a professor of physics at Boston University. And thank you to Emma Day from Basalt High School and Kai Driscoll from Aspen High School. Tune into Radio Physics on the fourth Tuesday of every month at 4.30. And for more information about our Gopher program and events at the center, please visit the Aspen Center for Physics website at aspenphys.org or give me a call. <laughs>